0: All right, guys, if you would like to stand with me for the reading of God's word, comes from John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amazing. Hey, good morning. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Trinity. It's so good to see you. Really glad you're with us. We are continuing this series on the theme of healing in the scriptures. It's, it's a, a bold series. It's a little bit of a crazy series. We feel that. We, we know that. We are not simply asking whether or not the Lord is, is still actively healing today but rather we're, we're looking at, at God's heart for healing all across the scriptures. How, how Jesus consistently and, and continually heals in the gospels, and then how he continues to heal in, in Acts and, and, and in the early church through the Holy Spirit and through his disciples. And so we're asking, how do we participate in, how do we experience the healing ministry of Jesus today? And so we're, we're seeing that God's heart, what we're, what we're trying to, to see and to show is God's heart is for healing. It's, it's for healing because He loves us and because He cares about our pain and suffering. He is not at a distance, He is not absent in our pain and suffering, but He is present and He, and he deeply longs to be with us, to heal us and to lavish His love on, on us. But I, I know and I feel that this is a, a complex topic. This is a Deeply personal thing, and over the last few weeks, the question that keeps coming up in my mind, and the question that I've actually heard from a, a number of other people, uh, understandably, is what if I what if I bring my my friend, and and we pray for their healing, and it doesn't happen? Like won't won't they be discouraged? Won't they won't they even be be further moved away from church or, or Christianity altogether? And I, I understand this, and I, I resonate this, and I've, and I've felt this, this very fear myself. And so you might be thinking, why, why do all this? I mean, is this like a solution for the parking lot issue we've got out there? I know it's a little messy. We're not trying to weed people out, I promise. But I think there's, there's an overlooked and, and, a, and a misunderstood thing at play here. And it's, it's what I call the secret of healing, uh, actually, I, I read a book uh, years ago by, uh, by a sports journalist, and he was, he was describing this encounter. When, when he was early in his sports journalism career, he heard this, you know, Hall of Fame basketball player, one of the all-time greats back in the 80s and 90s, In all these interviews, this basketball player w- would casually reference the secret of basketball, but he would never say what it was. And in none of the interviews did he actually say what the secret of basketball was. And so this journalist, decades later, ran into the, the old, you know, retired player at an event, and he said, hey, I saw all those interviews with you, but you never actually said what the secret of basketball was. And he goes, oh, you, you caught that. Do you want to know what it was? And so the journalist leans in, and everybody else leans in, and he says, the secret of basketball is that it's not about Basketball like, whoa, what does that mean? Like, no idea. And he went on to say it was about teamwork or something dumb. I think it was because the, the guy wasn't a great scorer and his whole generation got owned by Jordan, and so he was just trying to come up with stuff. But the, the phrase stuck with me. And then I kept coming back to it this week as I, was, as I was studying John 11, as I was thinking about this Sunday and just sort of praying over this whole weekend, I just kept thinking there's, there's a secret of healing. And the secret of healing is that it's not about healing. So what's it about then? What, what is the secret of healing? Would you like to know? I'll tell you later in the sermon. Let me open in prayer and we'll get into this story. Um, Father, we are so, just so grateful uh, that we get to come into your presence at all. Um, that you have made a way for us through your Son, through His life, death, and resurrection, that we can experience life with you, and that through you we can now experience this incredible life with one another. It is, uh, it is so much fun. It is so overwhelming. It is so hard. Lord, we look to you this morning. You promise to to open our eyes uh, as we look into your Word. Would you give us that wisdom? Would you? Uh, grant us by your Holy Spirit an understanding of this, this incredibly difficult topic, this personal thing. Lord, for anyone here who is just feeling a, a struggle towards healing, um, would, you, would you give them a, a sense of peace and even patience as, as, we, as we talk and as we explore this theme today and over the next few weeks? Lord, we simply ask that you would be with us and that you would give us more of your presence and love. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let, me, let me start um, where this story begins in John 11. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick, and his sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, and speaking to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But then this is odd. Verse 6 says So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. So, this right off the bat is confusing, right? We're told that Jesus loves Lazarus, loves Mary and Martha. We know that he is a, a healing savior, we know he has the power, he has the compassion to heal. And yet it also says that as soon as he heard Lazarus was, was sick and on the edge of death, he says, we'll just stay here a few more days, knowing, knowing full well that Lazarus will pass away. And so because of this, it, it seems almost, almost unloving or, or it just does not make sense. It doesn't connect to the Jesus we know that he has power to help and he doesn't do anything in the moment. And yet Jesus, after a couple days, he, he comes back. And it says in verse 32, verse 17 said that Lazarus had been in the tomb now for four days. And then verse 32 says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply grieved and troubled in spirit. "'Where have you laid him?' he asked. "'Come and see, Lord,' they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "'See how he loved him.' But some of them said, "'Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man "'kept this man from dying?' And so the, the very ones on the scene in this moment had the, the same question that we might have. Couldn't Jesus have prevented this from happening? Couldn't Jesus' love have, have prevented this, this tragedy? And we see a little bit of faith out of the sisters. They, they come to Jesus. They believe that he could have healed them. They believe in his, in his resurrection power. But they also seem angry. Understandably, they're, they're blaming him for not coming sooner. But, but just look at Jesus' response to this moment. I mean, he knows what he's about to do. He's told his disciples what he's going to do, and yet he is absolutely overcome with grief. He is, he is stricken with, with a deep anguish in his soul. His, his love is always overflowing, and here it is pouring out in his tears. I mean, he feels this so, so deeply. He feels our pain and our suffering so personally and so deeply. There's an old quote that says, the more that we hurt, the harder we love. And actually, it's not an old quote. It's from the rapper J. Cole, but it fits <laughs> perfectly right there. And so the passage comes to its climax. Jesus reaches the tomb and it's blocked by a large stone. He calls out to have the stone rolled away, which is foreshadowing, right? And then Jesus prays to his father. And what he prays for is incredible. He actually just thanks the father that that he hears him. He actually just thanks the father for the, the relationship that they have, for the connection For the intimacy that they have and for this opportunity to reveal who he is to the people. I mean, we could see Jesus, if he's going to pray anything at all, like rolling up his sleeves and saying like, Jesus, thank you for this power. Lord, thank you that I've got it, all right? It's about to happen. But in this moment, he he is simply thankful for his intimate relationship with the Father. He knows the Father's heart. And he knows what's about to happen. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I mean, this is one of the most powerful Dramatic, extraordinary moments in all of the scriptures. I mean, could you even imagine this moment? The, the mourning into dancing, the, the tears into joy, the, the grief into just pure, hilarious celebration at what has just taken place. It's an amazing demonstration of Jesus' power, but, but even more of, of who He is, of, of his, his love. This is a visible demonstration of, of a spiritual reality as well. It's, it's a demonstration of what Jesus does in, in all of our hearts and lives. The moment that we turn to Him, the moment that we call out to Him, He calls out to us into our darkness, into our grave, our tomb, and we stand up out of our death and we walk out of spiritual death and into the light. It's a a visible demonstration of a, a spiritual reality for us today. He says in verses 24 and 25, just in between the sections we read to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so, of course, not everyone who physically dies is is raised up. Very, very few will. But he's saying everyone who puts their faith in me will live an everlasting life. I mean, this is a fitting passage for a baptism Sunday. Uh, I'm a little overwhelmed with excitement because it is our firstborn son getting baptized this morning. So I'm a little bit of a mess. But this is, this is exactly what baptism is, is celebrating, what it is representing. Baptism is a visible demonstration of a spiritual reality. The one who is lost in death has been raised up to new life. By the word of Jesus calling out to them. A visible demonstration of a spiritual reality. And so this passage is a a staggering miracle in itself. And it also points us to something beyond itself. Points us to something even more. And there's a word that perhaps you've caught it already. It keeps coming up over and over and over. In verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The Greek word for love here is phileo. It's closely related to the word for friend. It's, it's the word for brotherly love. It's, it's friendship love. It's, it's, it's the love of two best friends in kindergarten playing together. Or the, the, the friendship love of an old married couple walking together, you know, for, for 60 years on the same sidewalks. It's, it's a side-by-side friendship kind of love. Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I now call you friends. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Amazing, unbelievable promise, like the one that, that Trevor just shared. This phileo love is mentioned again in verse 36 of our passage, when the people said, see how he loved him. Friendship love pouring out of Jesus for his bud Lazarus. But also in verse 5, look, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's actually a different Greek word. It's agapao, which is uh, the word agape is the root. So you've probably heard that. This is a, a self-giving, sacrificial kind of love. It's, it's a one-way, divine kind of love. And so if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's famous book, The Four Loves, he calls this the highest form of all love. Lewis says it's all giving and no getting. It's used almost exclusively of God's love for us and, and almost never about our love for him or our love for one another. This is a, a pure, divine raise the dead kind of love that Jesus has for his people. And this, I believe, is is the most important thing in this passage. It's actually not that Jesus raised Lazarus. It's that he loved him. I mean, Lazarus was, was raised from the dead, but he, you know, like he passed away again. He's not like 2,000 years old now, like talking about his joint pain. Like he did pass away again. The point was not raising Lazarus so he could become an apostle or do some huge thing that Jesus needed from him. Now, the point of all of this is his love. He said that his purpose was to glorify God and to reveal something about himself through this. The writer here, John, you know, he also writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Revelation. And he he just talks about love all throughout all five of these books. He's called the Apostle of Love. The only time he refers to himself, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And and he's going to to great lengths here with multiple different verbs. He's he's going beyond the English language just to show us how much Jesus loves us. He's doing everything he possibly can to to show us Jesus' great love for each of us. We see the love and how he, how he grieved, and in his, in his tears. We see his love and gently talking with Martha and Mary, weeping at, at the grave alongside of them. John 11 is a story about love. And so if we can just come full circle and, and think back to where we began, What what happens if if somebody comes and they, they receive healing prayer and then no healing comes? I mean, won't they feel frustrated and discouraged and like something's wrong with them? And I think I think not if we're if we're praying in the right way. I mean, if we're praying and we're promising physical, immediate healing right off the bat, if we were one of those kind of churches, then yeah, somebody's probably gonna get pretty discouraged. They're gonna feel ashamed. But if if we're praying with with no expectation of what God might do, but only expectancy that, that he might do something, if we're praying for, for healing with, with as much faith as we can muster, but also with trust in God's goodness, and if we're praying for somebody to more than anything else experience the love of the Father, then I don't think they could possibly go away discouraged. And said, I've seen time and time again, I've, I've prayed with somebody, somebody else has, has prayed with somebody, and, I, and I've just heard the person say, I've never felt so loved as I did just then. No, no immediate relief, no physical healing, but they walked away saying, that was a, a transformational moment where I felt the presence of God. Like, our, our desire in this series is not that we become like the healing church you know, I'm not trying to be like the healing pastor. That is not the platform that I want. I've I've seen the, the groupies that follow that kind of thing. As we say in the business, that's just a body no, okay? That's just a hard pass. What we're trying to do is welcome people into the love of God. More than anything else, we want to do the kind of work that Jesus does. We want to participate in His ministry. We want to join Him in introducing people to the Father's love. That's what He's doing in John 11. That's what He's doing at all times. It's His ministry. It's it's not our ministry. We are merely participating in like, like as a, a channel, a conduit of Jesus' healing ministry. And if he chooses to, to heal immediately and bring complete relief, praise God. And if he decides to, to wait and to only pour out his love, then we say praise God. That is the more important thing. It actually is, and, and I don't think that's, that's harsh. If your suffering is intense, if you are if grieving, if you are chronically ill, if you are in pain, if you are in relational conflict all the time, if you've been praying for healing for years, I still think the very thing you need most is, is the tenderness and the love of Jesus for you. I mean, there's a good chance as, as healing comes that something else is, is going to, to flare up. Something else is going to afflict you. But if you have the love of God in your heart, I mean, it just will not, will not touch you, will not affect you in the same way. So all this is to say the secret of healing, it's not about healing. It's about Love. The secret of healing is love. And actually, the secret of non-healing is also love. So when Jesus heals somebody, it's it's an overflow of his love in their life. And when somebody is is not yet healed, it's also because of his love. Because he knows something that that we don't know. We sometimes call it unanswered prayer. And I, I don't think that's the right phrase for it. My, my main man, theologian J.I. Packer, he's passed away, still my main man. He writes, there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Which I, I like, did not agree with at first. I had to read it and, and understand what he was saying. How can that be? Of course there's unanswered prayer. But he's saying if, if God is, is sovereign over everything that happens in the universe, over everything that happens in your life, and if he's a good and loving father that wants what's best for you, knows what's best for you, then there there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. But rather, as, as Tim Keller puts it, when we pray, God will either give us what we ask or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. He gives us either exactly what we ask for because he's a good and loving father or he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew because he's a good and loving father. So the answer is not no, it's, it's just not yet. The answer is for now, the answer is my love. There's something that I'm, I'm doing in you that is more important than your immediate relief and, and your physical healing in this moment. I want you to receive my love. And I want to ask you to wait and I want to ask you to trust. This is, is the very reason, God's love is the reason that we can, we can pray for, for healing with all of the boldness we can, we can muster up, all of the faith that we can have. And we can pray for healing with all of the patient trust that we can have, both because of God's love. Full faith, bold, I mean, just ask, asking heaven to come to earth kind of faith and a quiet, patient kind of trust. And how we know God's love is for us, it's not whether He heals us or not, but it's because of what He's already done for us. He demonstrates His love for us in this, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So healing is an expression or an outpouring of God's love, but it's not the proof of God's love. The proof of God's love is the cross and the resurrection. Just as, as Jesus called forth into the tomb in this moment for Lazarus, the dead man, to come forward, Jesus would actually go into the tomb himself. He would actually take death upon himself. It was the only way for any of this to happen. Jesus could not himself go around death, he had to enter into it himself. And he did. In his love, he did. And you remember how the soldiers and the religious leaders mocked him on the cross and they said, If you're really the Son of God, you can come down from there. I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. Of course, Jesus could have come down from there. With just one word, Jesus could have ended it all. But what they didn't realize was it wasn't the nails that kept him there, it was love. And so as we wrap up our time today and get ready for for communion and this baptism, just consider the love of Jesus for you. Lord, the one you love is sick. See how his compassion rises to meet you in your suffering. Jesus wept. See how he hurts when you hurt and he aches when you ache even though he knows it's all going to work out in the end, he still feels it just as intensely. See how he loved them. See how he loves us all the way to the cross, through death to save us. And then Lazarus, rise, come out of the grave. See how Jesus' love calls you into new life, out of the darkness, literally into the embrace of your friend Jesus. So we are all now like the Apostle John. We are the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like that is your truest, deepest identity if you believe in Jesus. Nothing else is more true of you than you are the disciple whom Jesus loves. And so if you've been praying and praying and you've been waiting... I mean, I know that there's a few of you in in this room that you are struggling seeing testimonies and you see people experiencing healing and renewal and life in this church. You're like, it's everywhere, but what about me, Lord? I feel like everybody around me is thriving and flourishing and experiencing healing except for me. And I I feel that too. And all we can say is Jesus' love is as much on you as anyone else. Keep waiting, keep praying, keep trusting. Keep your eyes fixed on him. But also don't ever stop asking for what you want and need. Remember Jesus' words, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so ask with wild faith and ask with quiet trust for, for the same reason. Because you are more deeply loved than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you. It is, it is overwhelming to, to comprehend your, your love for us, especially when we, we think about who we are, who we've been, how we haven't loved you. We can be overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And yet we can just come directly to you through Jesus. Jesus. And like the the father and the prodigal son parable, you just, you leap off the porch and come running to meet us along the path. You don't even let us get all the way home. But you put the robe on us and you say, welcome home. I've been waiting. I've been longing for you. You're back where you belong. Father, so many of us struggle to feel your love for a thousand different reasons, but we struggle, Lord. In this moment, would you just give us a sense of your nearness, your presence, your affection, your acceptance of us. Lord, pour out your love in this room even now. For the ones who are struggling most, Lord, we come alongside them and hold them up and say, pour it here, God. Pour it on these folks. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst